Bennett is in his space, I'm in mine. Together we're in third, third space. space. Doing fine to do. <laughs> I tried to tried to join in. Yeah, no. Uh it's probably not a keeper. Uh but I'm okay yeah. With it. I don't think so. But I appreciate the effort. Uh be yeah. for effort. Be for effort, I'll take it. I had a dumb thought the other day. Yeah. It was just it's actually a dumb scientific question I want to ask you. Okay. Um, I was getting some water from the fridge, and I, I do the, uh, like, it's not Brita, I, forget, I think it's Pura I use, whatever, it doesn't matter. You're really, so, uh, you've really been influenced by Daniel Does Science, haven't you? Oh, and, yeah, definitely. This and is, so <laughs> now you're becoming a regular old scientist. And I thought I'd turn, oh, how the turntables, you oh, know? I'd, right, right. Um, so I had gotten the water out, uh, and, and there was a debate in my mind, an internal one, about weight, like... I'm literally pouring a glass super fast. Should I shut the door? Because I was thinking when you open a door, it probably creates some sort of, if you could imagine cold air like swirling out or something like that. Mm-hmm. So so here's my question. I'll, I'll frame it. But that's essentially the what I wrestled with. So my question, I'll frame it this way. You have a fridge. You open the door for 10 seconds straight and then close it. That's scenario one. Scenario two, same fridge, same temperature outside, all you know, all other things mm-hmm. equal. You open the fridge for two seconds, you shut it for two seconds, you open for two, you shut it for two, you open for two, and you and yeah. so that so ten seconds have passed, but you've only opened it for a total of six seconds. Um, all right, so what what do you suppose is going on and which would be preferable to do? Wait, why preferable? Why is it open for six seconds? You open it to take the water out? You close no, it. Well, I don't care about that. This is more of just a uh, mm. like. For some reason, you're you're within a ten second time. Like someone's handing you things, and they're they're like across the room. I don't care what the scenario is, but you're open it for two, and you're shutting for two. You're opening for two, and you're shutting for two for a total <clears> of ten <throat> seconds. So you've started with the opening. So you've it, is my math right there? <laughs> Six seconds total. You've had this thing open. <clears throat> Versus the 10 seconds of consistent opening. Okay. So like my gut, your obvious gut would go 10 seconds is longer than six. So you've lost more cool or you're basically your overall temperature has gone up. But there's a little bit of movement. Um, and so I'm just curious is I, I imagine the data could read differently depending on how swiftly you're opening or whatever. But like just a normal opening. I'm just curious is, is there like a better rule of thumb like oh yeah just leave it open and get everything out and in in your 10 seconds instead of doing this silly opening and shutting um, um, assuming it's not an energy on your end like you don't mind the physical exertion like that's not in factoring into the decision making you're just trying to keep it the coolest you can right um, actually I think it probably from a practical standpoint doesn't matter because the temperature of your food items inside the fridge they're not going to lose their coolness in that brief time frame, regardless of whether you keep the door open or not. They're, I mean, as long as you don't keep it open for you know minutes at a time, so that your refrigerator can't um, compensate, then like your food items aren't going to lose that much of their coolness. And as soon as you close the fridge, like it's going to you know go and come on again yeah, and yeah. start generating more cold air. And most of them, they 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 actually generate the cold air in the freezer and then have a vent that. Um, that lets the air down into the fridge part. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and so you don't actually have two separate temperature controllers. You have one, and it uh, it kind of uh, opens the vents a certain amount uh, and controls the flow of c- cold air from the freezer down to the fridge. Um, 
So but it could still, uh, overall, you're the power powering your refrigerator might have to crank up earlier. That's if true. It costs yeah, more. yeah. That, but you're right that the food won't spoil or something in this negligible time period. Right, for and sure. and the power required to kick on, you know, one more time like, is pretty negligible. So, like, you know, if you're pouring water and you're trying to decide how to be ultra efficient, whether you should, you know, leave the door open or close the door, like, the, yeah, I think you're right. If you were to zoom in and I think there probably is a better way, but it's just that how much better is very small. So I could see that you know when you um, when you pull open the door, uh, actually for a brief little amount of time, you're lowering the pressure inside the fridge because you're increasing the volume inside. And so when you open the door, it tries to suck a little bit of air in, but then that probably makes some kind of vortex that swirls some of the cold air out. And you know the whole time right. you have the the whole time you have the door open, the cold air is, you know, assuming it's warmer outside the fridge, then it's pouring out of the fridge into the outside. Warm air is going into the fridge. And then... I um, picture, have you seen, like, war movies where the slow-motion helicopter, when it when there's, mm-hmm, like, uh, yeah. smoke, and does that swirl? Like, I picture the swirls coming out of the fridge, if you could yeah. somehow see it. Like, no, it, it is. Are, yeah, it would be like that. Um, you could yeah. probably, you could probably uh, test this somewhat by getting some uh, dry ice, um, you know, or smoke machine or whatever and put it in your fridge and uh, and open and close the door and see where the smoke goes. And that's uh, that'll give you a good idea of which is better. I suspect this vortex, though, like is, is not I mean, obviously, we're talking about small potatoes. <laughs> Yeah. It's just insignificant. I get that. Small potatoes just made me laugh how dumb that is. But <laughs> but the idea Small tomatoes. Small tomatoes. Small tomatoes. Um, small tomatoes, small potato. That's what they say. <laughs> you say small potatoes, I say small tomatoes. Um That's tom- uh anyway. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, no. It's, the joke's so dead and I was like Mosquito yeah, Moscato. Okay. <laughs> um the the whole i just do picture the swirl like sucking a lot out and if you and doing this three times in the 10 seconds being more significant so my hypothesis is that you would lose more cold air in the 6 seconds having it open than you would you know because of the repeat the repetition and the movement than just having your refrigerator open for 10 seconds mm-hmm. and i li- i just I, the reason that thought tickles me is just i like counterintuitive like if you were to frame the question holding refrigerator open just for 10 seconds or for six seconds that's very clear 10 you, you 10 seconds would would release more cold air or would yeah. the overall temperature would go up now you say but those six seconds are not in succession and there's movement going on um that it possibly could change that and i like i like that i don't know just an interesting thought hmm. dumb thoughts was dumb it thoughts yeah uh i mean like I also think that if you, you know, if someone is using your fridge and they just open it wide and leave it open for ten seconds, then, you know, you're more likely to go, "What are you doing? Like, close the fridge." Like, even uh, even if it's less uh, efficient than closing it multiple times, um, which I I don't think it is, then uh, like just to me, I always think I should protect the cold air in my fridge, and so. You know, I open and close the door even when I'm like, uh, you know, getting multiple things out of the fridge or loading groceries into the fridge. I close the door every time yeah. and then go to the bag, get the groceries, open the door, put the groceries in, close the door. I don't know, safeguard that right. cold air. I'm the same way. I'm trained, I'm conditioned to just 
only open it when you're like retrieving or or putting something in and if there's any there is no reason for that to to be open just as, well, I mean, I don't even I don't survey and go hmm like I, I mean and like I just don't open that thing like I, I really treat it <laughs> s- sacredly in a way. Yeah, I, I'm the same way with like my the door to my apartment or the, you know the door to a house or whatever. Like I just don't leave doors open. Doors are doors are meant to be closed until you're you <laughs> until you're going through them. <laughs> you, you have one of those closed door policies. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah, I have a closed door policy when it comes to doors. <laughs> you literally have a mat. A welcome mat that says go away. That's so great. <laughs> it's not it's, a welcome mat at all. No, it's not. It says go away. And like actually, <clears throat> the few times I've had people come to my door, I've been astonished at the the audacity of people that will knock on my door, stand on my go away doormat, and then, you know, like ask me to buy something or whatever. And it's just like, are you kidding me? Like, look at the doormat, man. As they're standing on it, that is just, it, it's got a... I just hope the irony doesn't escape them entirely, right? They're standing on this thing. Come on. (laughs) I'd like to think that it makes anyone who comes to my door just a little uncomfortable, a stranger, a little uncomfortable, and they're just not sure, like, should I bother this guy or just, you know, put this thing, you know, under his little door knocker so he'll see it later. (laughs) I'm trying to think how I would feel if I were if I were tasked with this. This is my job or duty or religion's conviction or whatever. So I would come <laughs> up to the door and I would see, and I would chuckle, and then I would think, how serious, how serious is he? And and then I would wrestle with it a bit. And then if I just elected to go forward, I would yes, I would feel exactly what you're talking about. Just some discomfort about not knowing how serious, like. It and that's what I aim like for. Joke. That's yeah. what I aim for. It's just to make everyone a little uncomfortable, uh, and then I can choose which way I want to go. Whether you know, depending on what they're doing, I can either choose to make them really uncomfortable or say, "Oh, that's just a joke. You don't have to go away." Oh yeah, you have all your options available as long as they're on on their keep them on their toes. Yep. <laughs> or off your mat and on their toes. That's right. Um, so I wanted to uh, possibly introduce a new segment. Oh, excellent. I love new segments. Yes. Um, I've had failures with this in the past as I try to, you know, introduce, like, like what are your thoughts on? And then you just totally throw me curveball. So that could happen here. I don't know. Um, my question, or... I, like, I, wanna... I liked what are your thoughts you should, what are your thoughts uh, on? You should, yeah. keep, you should keep that one. And I like Bennett tries trending. We just need to find some new some new topics as well. That that's funny because I'm not. It Trend, would be better trendy? if I were yeah if I were trendy and you weren't. But um, really, I'm just like not trendy and you're atrociously untrendy. <clears throat> I know, but still, there's still a differential we can exploit. I think that you know you just like look at the trending anything and ask me about it, and I'm gonna know anything about no, it. No, that's so. true. And that's actually, so I'm kind of using the maybe disinterest or lack of knowledge in a particular field here. So what we're going to call this is, for at least the working title, is Bennett Fixes Sports. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's about time. This sports needs fixing. This is getting ridiculous. Have you seen sports? It's that's ridiculous. Like, that's why I'm glad. I was going to say I know your position on sports generally, and I thought, and you've always maintained that it, they could use some fixing, so I thought I'd yeah. let you give your pitch about Perfect. why, indeed, these traditional like uh, 
I mean, these are like not just legendary. That's not the right word. That's these, definitely these not the right culturally word. Culturally ingrained. <laughs> Stale. Are, yeah, I know what you're culturally going for. ingrained. Fairy, Stale. They're like, fixed. Boring. No, they're, they're, <laughs> very just low tech. Is that what you're? But, well. <laughs> Uh, the, the, we changed no, we changed the nuance of like for safety reasons or maybe to uh, create higher scoring and or or to uh, either like ass- ensure equity and competition or something like that. But for the most part, the parameters you're not gonna have like like the end zone, the end zone. The goal is the goal. The ball is the yeah, ball. And there's use regulation. Use this size like, stick. You, no, no. Use this size stick. No, no, no. no. Use this kind of ball. No, no, this kind of ball. Uh, the ball was a little deflated. Ah! <laughs> Scandal. The ball was slightly deflated. No, so so I think everyone, regardless of where you fall in your sports fandom, has to agree that uh, holistically, sports involve. I mean, there are some some one person or like like golf is a little bit different, but like for now, like the, the two teams come together on a field or a court with some def- like clearly defined parameters and then there's a ball often uh, manipulated by th- by the people individual people and like one team's in possession trying to score in some way toward a basket or a, an in- a, a zone mm-hmm. an area and, and that's just like that's generally how sports work is that is that a fair assessment yeah I mean they're they try to say lots of things are sports, and you know, I don't really have much of an opinion on it. You know, people say that cheerleading is a sport, yeah, or NASCAR. NASCAR is a sport, or soccer is a sport. None of these things are <laughs> obviously none of these things are sports. Oh, obviously, yeah. <laughs> but I, the thing is, I really don't care about the definition of a sport. And actually, like I've been hamming it up a little. I don't, I don't have any real antagonism for sports. I can appreciate a desire to display athleticism and to push your boundaries and achieve a high skill level. But most of my gripes with sports come from the fact that it is an entertainment industry. And in an entertainment industry, it's absurd that we're on, like talk about sequelitis, Super Bowl is on like, we're on like (laughs) Super Bowl 50 or something, you know? Like, this ridiculous, we don't even have 50 Avengers yet, although we're probably getting close. (laughs) We might. I, I don't know how many are, exist in the Marvel universe. Probably, <laughs> maybe count each one. They may be trying to take over the Super Bowl, <laughs> Avengers Super Bowl. But do you not find the beauty in sports the fact that it's sort of this standard that goes across time, so that we know an athlete, if it, an athlete breaks a record, that means something. They they accomplished a similar. I mean, I guess they're competing against different individuals, so all of a sudden the variables are wildly different. But like. If they were able to say knock a, a ball out of a, a park or something, you know, hit a home run essentially, uh, like that's measurable. Like and go, wow, that he did better than this other guy thirty five years ago. Like that means something. Like I don't know that the, the fixed nature yeah. is the beauty, but that's kind of where you have your gripe, right? Like yeah, I, I just maybe I'm just not as taken by record breaking within sports as some people are. Like to me, if I had to choose between having a really exciting year of a twist on a classic sport or a new sport and the same old sport season 50 of football and one guy just happens to like throw it further or 
score more touchdowns than some guy 45 years ago did. That's just not exciting. You know, you hear the the announcer or whatever go, oh, well, uh, Tim T-Bone just kicked the furthest field goal. And since, <laughs> this hasn't happened since 1972. And everyone is like, oh, wow. And then the next day you're like, did you see old T-Bone kick the thing, beat the record? <laughs> and, and people are like, and, and that's it. But if you have... A, a new sport or you change the sport in a special way and you have a whole season of that, then every game is exciting because you can't wait to see what happens next in this new sport or new twist on the sport. I just think it's the comparison is not even close. So like the, the, the ability to have a fixed measuring stick to measure greatness or athleticism, fine. You know, that's all right. You can still do some of that same old stuff but when it comes to providing entertainment for millions and millions of people change it up let's make it interesting well that's a perfect segue then so i'm gonna throw you a i don't know if it's a curveball but like the idea sports analogy nice nice job i'm gonna that's baseball (laughs) i know that one i'm going to choose a sport for you but i'm gonna choose one that i think already has some elements of uh differentiation i suppose Um, hockey is going to be our sport that you're going to fix because i think you know like they took a lot of traditional elements of sports and they put it on ice and that is that is pretty good yeah actually i i agree with that um like when i compare it to other sports like soccer you know hockey is way better because it's on ice so it's kind of like it is kind of like a lamer version of me tried to fix like lacrosse or soccer or something and came up with hockey and just like, hey, let's put them all on ice. So that's actually a good thing. Like hockey hockey has some of my respect because of, for that reason, but it, it also has some problems. Like, have you ever been to a hockey game? Um, yes, I have. I have too, actually. Um, and it's pretty much impossible to see what is going on when you're watching a hockey game because the puck is like, it's like three inches in diameter or it something. It is difficult to follow. I will, I and they, even, even TV puts a trail behind it sometimes just yeah. to visibility issues. Yeah. And they're hitting it super fast and like, you know, shuffling it back and forth and whacking it all the way across the uh, the rink and everything. It's just too small. You can't tell what's going on. And, you know, if you're, if you're a player in the game, maybe that's thrilling and it requires skill and, you know, acuity and all of these things in order to be able to keep up, and that's fine. But if this is a entertainment sport, if this is a spectator sport, the audience needs to be able to tell what's going on. So hockey, that's no good. Also, another thing that whatever respect they gain from doing it on ice, they completely lose by just having two stationary goals and some <laughs> and a thing that they hit in them. Like, come on, when was hockey invented? Do you know? Uh, no, I don't. Well, I'm gonna surely, look that up right now. surely it was invented after soccer and uh, and like football and stuff, mm, right? It says November 26, nineteen seventeen, but that's NHL, which is a whole different thing, a ball game. That's weird. That's what <laughs> oh, pop, sports pops analogy. Eighteen. Nice. 18- <laughs> we do speak in sports analogies so much. Uh, eighteen seven. The first indoor hockey game was played on March third, eighteen seventy-five. Wow, that's way older than I expected. Yeah, I wonder what that's... <sighs> How did they make game. the rink? I mean, this is all from looking at Wikipedia They have like a right? horse-pulled Zamboni. I, yeah, I would have to comb through this a little more than on the spot. But yeah, well, it does, it's Most not. popular in Canada, 
like that's surprising that's, central that and eastern europe that doesn't nordic countries me. russia yeah the cold places i mean that's not, not surprising oh i just realized our michigan fans are gonna hate us <laughs> or hate me hate sorry uh, speaking of which uh, just to get us started before you make those changes you've identified some issues but could yeah. you uh, maybe name five uh professional <laughs> hockey players <laughs> no any, of any all right Ever, ever. Wayne like, Gretzky. Not, not. Wayne Gretzky. Yes. <laughs> um. Uh, you taking a sip of water? What are you? <laughs> uh, sorry, my audio cut out. Um, Wayne Gretzky, and who was the guy in the Mighty Ducks? Was it <laughs> Mighty Duck? I don't know his name. Wayne Gretzky. I don't know any other hockey player <laughs> of all time oh, oh, wait. Uh, what's the what's the trophy called that they all fight for the heisman no the, the what's it called i want you to get there the hockey cup that's something yes, you're, you're i've there. heard of it i've heard of it you're there the hockey cup, cup. You're, you're, you're very you're very it's something cup the heisman cup it's not Heisman. Think of, That's I'll give you a clue. Um, a character in The Office. His the Wayne first name. Gretzky Cup. No, uh, the, uh, uh, in The Office. The Stanley Cup. That's it. Yes, Stanley yes, Cup. Why did I go is. to Stanley first? <laughs> well, so that was a joke. It, it wasn't a, a, a sincere answer, and then it no, became it. it. Yeah, I just picked a character from The Office. Like Meredith, I went Meredith Cup. And then, Meredith yeah, Cup. it's the Stanley Cup. <laughs> Excellent. Um, in, fair, in all fairness, I'm... No hockey fan. Stanley, he's got hockey. it. Stanley just, has to have been a hockey player, right? So Wayne Gretzky and Stanley. Yeah, I'm sure Stanley was a dude. Um, I thought I Stanley. I thought Stanley was the Marvel guy. Um, that's Stan. <laughs> Stan Lee. Yeah, that's, that was good. That, I was actually going. No, that's Stanley. Wait, I just said that was funny. That was really funny. Um, yeah, no, I don't know a lot of hockey players, and I googled for this uh, famous hockey players, Steve, and tell Wayne me Gretzky it, was the first. Yeah. Um, Sid, and then I'll, the names escape me, which is probably hilarious to hockey fans. So I apologize, but I like Sidney Crosby, never heard of him. That's the Mar- rapist, the date rapist uh, guy. <laughs> uh, Gordy Howie or How? God, I'm probably missing. Even just yeah. like, some of these names, like how would you pronounce? L E M I E U X. Lemieux. Lemieux. Mario Lemieux. Lemieux. Bobby Orr. Um, no. See, I haven't. No. Guy Lafleur. That sounds I, familiar. Guy Lafleur sounds like a philosopher. Art Ross. No. Yeah, he's the guy with the like fro that paints friendly paintings. <laughs> yeah, that's him. Yeah, no, so, the, the, it, yeah, I just don't know I don't feel names, bad. So. I don't feel bad about not knowing five hockey players. Or two. Or <laughs> two. Only because Wayne Gretzky presents 3D hockey on the N64. <laughs> probably, like, that's my you're exposure. Right. I actually, pl- I used to play a hockey game on the Sega Genesis. Uh, I, ha- I don't know what it was anymore, but I used to play it, and the most memorable thing is that they used to throw o- octopuses, octopodes, onto the ice. Mm-hmm. So Wait, the, is that a thing? That is that a cultural phenomenon in hockey? I mean, I, I know the hat so. trick, and you throw hats. I don't um, know about that. What one. would you throw an octopus on the <clears throat> court for? I I don't know. Eight goals in a row. I don't know. Honestly, <laughs> don't know. I don't know why they, it happened in the game, and I was like, oh, that's weird. And that's like the only thing I remember about hockey. I mean, when I went to the, I went to one hockey game when I lived in Wisconsin, 
and watched it and like just couldn't see anything and I was sitting like at the very top row couldn't see anything so I was just not impressed one funny you know there was a local hockey team where we grew up um I think we're okay saying where we grew up in um we grew up in Macon and so there was a local hockey team called the Whoopi and oh, yeah, the, Macon Whoopi the, the Macon Whoopi and and it became sort of I mean I this is pre-internet era but I know some of the jerseys like antique or you know throwback jerseys people still buy and it's it's you know, they did things like making whoop or making music was a local baseball team, making nights because if you are from Macon, you are a Maconite. Um, that was a that was a, a football like what the XFL not the XFL but they did those uh, arena football things. Mm. There's making bacon, I believe. Yeah, the baseball um, that one's good. That's the, bacon. the is that the current one making yeah. bacon. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they have a rivalry with the Savannah Bananas, <laughs> so that's I great. like that. Yeah, Savannah and. Uh, yeah, but but making whoopee is hard. That's to another top. that's another gripe of mine with sports is that the team names are lame. And, and that's they where should, the, the baseball gets to be playful in their like you know yeah. lower divisions. And <clears> stuff. They should rhyme or be alliterative, uh, and or you get or, too stuck on like lions and and yeah. you know just like these iconic symbol like you know just giraffes you know yeah <laughs> sports team names <laughs> no but you know like we just we just choose these things like knights and we stick with it too much i don't know yeah they need to be better need to be better like some so, teams just need to get it straight like the volunteers what kind of name is that yeah the tennessee volunteers i'm sure there's like historical stuff but i mean even you why do i think volunteers sounds silly and i think something like the tar hills um there's something charming about it. I don't so, know. I guess we can't else. have it both ways, though. We can't. We can't go. Oh, lions is so silly, like they dumb. But Tar Heel, like I appreciate bizarre, <clears throat> bizarre little names. So maybe the Vols are pretty cool. I don't know. You should you should choose your team name based on how cool your mascot can be. Because like, if you what the, what is a Tar Heel? Like, what does their mascot even look like? Just some guy that keeps looking at his foot. Well, they do have a foot with some tar on it is one yeah. of the things. but That's they, one of they their icons. That... But, like, if you have, like, the, uh, you know, the dragons or the lions, then you can have a dude in a big old furry lion suit or something as your mascot down there. And that's, you know, that's good. That's a decent mascot. But if you're a Tar Heel, like, what do you, well, that... what do, you do about that? Like, you're, you're, gonna, you're not even going to be able to pick him out. You're going to have to look at the guy who, you know, whose <laughs> foot is kind of stuck to the ground a little bit on every other step. Well, that's why schools even will have two or three mascots. So they have like I think UNC has the that ram looking thing. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to get. We're getting too in the weeds. We're so talking over our heads. Let's get back to fixing hockey. Fix some hockey. All right. Bennett. All right. Let's do this. Um, so you identified the puck is too. It's not that it's too fast because fast is fun, but it's too small. So the visibility. And then you said something about the fixed goals was a, was yeah, an issue right. too. So the first thing that I think we can do with hockey, well, because there are a handful of ice sports, hockey is probably the most popular one. So I think to just really have the best chance at pushing this into the mainstream, we can just combine all the ice sports. So we'll combine <laughs> hockey, curling, ice skating, and bobsled. Ooh, bobsledding. We'll, we'll, okay. We'll put them all together. So, uh, f- for hockey, look, first we'll make the rink four times as big because the rink is pretty small. Um, 
the goals rather than being fixed in place, they should be mobile. And like, instead of having it just sit on, the, I think it sits on the ice and you can actually, I don't know if it's, can you knock them out of place? They will go out of place, but they're going to, they're going to stop the play. Like at, well, after that, the way I, I, the way I think it should be is they should be the, each of the four corners of the goal should be posted on a curling stone and you have a dedicated goal team with the little brushes that has to, you know, they like, at the start of the match, they give it a push or something, and they have to like scrub the ice in front of the goal, and the goal is moving the whole time. <laughs> Wait, so who pushes, where, <laughs> so it's not on a track, it could go Maybe, anywhere. Yeah, it can go anywhere on the court, and it's a strategic move to decide where should we position our goal. And, uh, and this, these guys are just brushing to make it continually go. Maybe like three of the, uh, the things are curling stones, and one of them is like a little, uh, a little thing that gives it some motion. You know, pushes it a, just a little bit. A little uh, but they, but they can steer of, it yeah. with the brushes. Or and, maybe after a timed interval, you can give it a good shove, however you'd like. Uh, but so every minute or so, the little buzzer goes, and you could do that. So, maybe. So, I, I mean, but, I don't know. I'm just trying to think. Either, of ha- anyway, either way, like the idea is that you have mobile goals. I really like the idea of having mobile goals because. It, it changes things up over the course of the the inning or whatever hockey has. Uh, what does hockey have? Un- Quarters. Um, it's, it's it's periods, right? Oh, I, I don't think know. it's periods. Think it's three three of them. Man, we don't know. I should have done more hockey homework. <laughs> yeah, I really don't know much about hockey. Any, but I know enough to fix it. So um, that's one thing. All for bobsledding. Uh, all the edges of the rink, rather than like they're normally walls, but now they they should be curved. Ice like uh, like bobsled tracks, uh, or like half pipes, and they should be extra high. That way you can like you can hit the puck and it'll go whoosh on the side, and you can do like curve shots and stuff. Or the oh, skaters fine. can like skate up the side, and and then for for ice skating, you can like get extra uh, extra points for doing tricks and stuff like triple lutzes and whatnot. Uh, I don't and maybe some judges. I don't know. Ice skating is kind of <laughs> lame anyway, so they'll just do some tricks uh and maybe there's like a bonus point pool or something and the more tricks you do stuff goes into that point pool and then when you score you know you get some extra points based on how many tricks you've done uh something like that Um, yeah points are going to be difficult to but you'd have to iron it out after a while but like yeah yeah you'd have to iron it out but from a high level like you know we i think we can incorporate we can incorporate some tricks or maybe like some music or something what else (laughs) Ice skating doesn't. They have what judges, about something like snowboarding or skiing? Does this belong in here? Because you now have these <laughs> ramped sides. People could kind of go up, possibly, and I, I don't know. I'm just thinking. Yeah. How, nah, how many players I don't, do you envision know. on this court? Like, do you picture two teams now, still like battling and good old classic? Like, are you? You're not throwing everything out. Like, you're still going to have two a score yeah. for for in, for two teams to come together and win, right? There's going to be a right. Winner yeah, I think for I think hockey. Hockey is okay to keep two two teams. Um, and maybe we can, in future uh, versions of this segment, I can I can try to think of ways to change that up a little bit for other sports. But I think for hockey, we're safe to keep two teams. It sounds busy and fun and exciting. And well, I'm not people. done. So, <laughs> <clears throat> so the, I still haven't addressed the puck. Um, so I think that rather than being a three inch diameter little little thing. It should be about the size of a frisbee, uh, and covered with really bright lights, like LEDs or something, so you can actually see it. And instead of being like a hard, 
solid puck. It's actually a robot, like a Roomba. <laughs> and so, but you know, the it doesn't get a lot of purchase on the ice. It has a not, it has a little purchase so that if you were to smack it in a straight line and then the Roomba like kicked it into high gear, it could turn, you know, it could alter its course just a little bit. Yeah. Um, but but here's the thing. The Roomba is controlled like by the audience, all the audience members have a joist, a simple joystick, and the direction that they push on the joystick it sums up all of those inputs and feeds them to the puck. And so the audience has a little, just a little bit of control to nudge the puck around as they're hitting it and everything. I like this audience participation. That's like that's a staple in comedy shows, you know. Um um, magic, democracy, democracy. Why? Why are we? Why are we cutting it off at sports? You know, right? I think <laughs> yeah. This, I think this makes it really exciting because then you feel like you can do your part and try to help your team win, and you can, you can push that, push it in at just the right moment, try to squeeze it into the goal or whatever. Um, and uh, yeah, one other thing. One other thing. Here's an, here's another thing we could do. Because we have this giant field of ice and the goals are moving all around. So we could have like a, each team can have a dedicated like melter. That he's, that's like a his melter? position. You okay. know, you have a goalie and a forward and a melter. And the melter, like there's this dedicated spot on the rink where there's like buckets of warm water, hot water that are complete or that are uh, continually replenished. And you can skate over there and grab the bucket of hot water and then like go somewhere on the rink and throw the hot water and melt the ice in that spot like to make an obstacle. And so when the puck goes over it, it's going to, you know, get messed all up. All sorts of things, yeah. Or when, yeah. Or when people or skate. Yeah, yeah, when people skate over it, they're going to fall or or have to dodge it or you could try to put it in front of your goal and get your your goal team to scrape your goal over into that direction. But then of course you can't just continue having these spots on the ice. So every each both teams have a Zamboni as well. Oh, okay. Uh, Obviously, yeah. <laughs> and they can they can fix the uh, the obstacles on the ice or block the goal or so it gets real strategic. What really strategic, really fast. What what's so funny to me is one of the I, I would say the things that are holy to sports fans is the predictability that's, that's lame that's and, so lame and, though and your ever and your suggestions are so wildly like and almost intentionally yeah to, to because that's to the worst the thing about sports the worst <laughs> thing about sports is how boring it is it's, and I don't mean it's predict- been the to be, same to be clear i don't mean predictability like we know the score is going to be but we know even even if there was a say a moving goal like you maybe could get fans on board as long as it was moving in a consistent pace and you know from this from this on a track from here to here at this pace and we know and so you can plan accordingly or strategize accordingly but the unpredictable factors you're you're bringing in are like hilarious they're so funny um, that's that's what makes face it, of that <laughs> that's what makes it interesting like having the same th- actually like i feel like the sports fans would kind of make an argument like you did earlier where, you know, if we keep everything the same, then we have a measuring stick we can use to tell how good our players are because we can keep our stats and we can know, oh, he did better than Wayne Gretzky, so he must be really good. But but I don't care about that. I actually think what makes a really good athlete is the ability to act on the spot, on the fly, and, and use your senses to to determine in the moment how to win for your team. And I think having 
a little bit of unpredictability, moving goals, that makes it better. Like, there's already some amount of unpredictability in sports. Like in hockey, you know, like the puck is moving fast and can bounce wildly. You know, if it hits the goalie's glove or his knee or the pole or whatever, then it takes a second to figure out what's actually going on. That's unpredictability. Sports fans don't have a problem with that. So they need to just get over it and accept the rope, what I call (laughs) the new name of hockey, robo-pucky. (laughs) oh yeah i could imagine it selling so well robo pucky (laughs) i would be a big fan crazy robo pucky it makes sense rolls right off the tongue too the puck is a robot it still keeps a little tradition pucky sounds like hockey so that should that should appease all of the traditional hockey fans are the michigan folks they're gonna be like you know what it's all right it sounds the same kind of robo pucky we're on board do you think do you imagine your athletes i mean i imagine as we continue this segment you develop other like it measures the adaptability as you say right like your ability to say uh, uh to 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 move with whatever is being presented to you so weirdly enough in these professional level sports like you might have an athlete play several different sports because their just overall athleticism is uh, is is yeah. their ability to adapt. So it's not. I mean, hockey's a little different because we there's a skill set in, in being able to manipulate and ice skates or, or just be on the ice. But outside of that, I don't know. I can just imagine it, you're you're just utilizing a, what I would call like a general athleticism um, and applicable to a lot of different sports possibly i don't know just well think about think about the ways that you could excel in robo pucky like you could be like really good hockey players could just jump right in and be really good at robo pucky because of their ability to skate and their ability to manipulate you know the hockey stick and and, and even a goalie could you know jump right into robo pucky and be uh be relatively <laughs> successful but now you have additional avenues for excellence because you're your Zamboni driver, he doesn't have to be a good skater. He doesn't have to be good with the stick. He just has to be a good Zamboni driver and have the wherewithal to, to look at the rink and see the positions of the players and the goal and know where to position a Zamboni. He has to have a good eye for all those water Listen, bucket he even be obstacles. A, chub, a chubby dude. Like he doesn't even have to be, he has to just have finesse more than um Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't have to be in shape or fast no, or just, any, He has to, to just, be, just have see the eagle big eyes. Yes, e- yes. Eagle eyes and a and a quick head and a good steering wheel hand. And like <laughs> and like he can just Zamboni on over and smooth out those uh you know those obstacles in the ice. And like your your curling guys you know, those guys have gotten a bad rap forever. Like, no one respects curling guys. Uh, oh, and they don't? No, they don't. Do you? Could you, um, how, could you name five professional <laughs> curlers? Yeah. <laughs> of course. Uh, no, Jer- yeah, Jeremy Jenkins. Jeremy Jenkins. Yeah, um, yeah, one of the... Uh, Sam Martins. He's a good one. Sam Martins, yeah. One of my favorites. Um, Nicholas... Then Scofferson, I don't know, he's like Swedish or something. I don't know how to say his I name. I have his jersey. I just don't know how to say his name. It's a yeah. curling jersey. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I have a um, Stefan Strinskofferson uh, broom. You know, it's just a novelty item. It's not really, you can't use it on the ice. You have to use it for sweeping up dust. But it's still, like, branded, so it's pretty cool. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> um, funny. But, yeah, like, those guys, they would have their shot at fame. Like, they would kind of be, like, the the unsung heroes, 
even on even in Robo Pucky because you know if they suck, then your goal is stationary and the audience is going to be able to steer the the puck right into that goal, and you know you're gonna you're gonna lose. But if you have really good uh, the, the curling guys, then they'll be able to steer the goal away. Um, it's like and true fans if you have, loving defense, right? The, the, if you talk to true fans of a sport, they love a defensive battle, and a lot of people, be like, oh, that game is slow. But people that understand the nuances, and that's where your curling athletes would. Uh, yeah, would you shine. could even you could even imagine strategic situations in which the the curling the curling guys maneuver the goal in such a way as it stays. You know, the zamboni stays between the goal and the the puck. To try to uh, keep it from going in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, Robo Pucky. That it's. I'm sold. Good. I want to watch a game. Good. Well, see, th- that's another gripe of mine is that sports are. We've had these sport. When, what's the last new sport that you know that was on TV or that was famous? The last new sport. Yeah, a new sport. When's the last time you saw a new sport? Oh God! No, I mean I know they're like trying to make arena football a comeback, but you're, I have a feeling you're not talking about that at all. Like you yeah, know, just iterations right? we've, we've of the just same had, thing. Like we've had, you know, we have we're on Avengers eight or nine or something. Like there are kids who who weren't born when the first Avengers was around. We weren't around for the last new sport. Like we've had hockey since like 1817. You said baseball's been around forever. Basketball's been around forever. Football's been around forever. Golf has been around forever. All these things have been around forever. And like they're products of their time. They're people with a stick and a ball and some feet. And like that's what they are. But we live... It's current year, for heaven's sake. It's current year. <laughs> we can introduce technology into the game. And that's where RoboPucky comes in. Like We have this LED-covered Roomba on ice. Who's not going to be on board with that? You know, all, all the... All the joking aside, like it is, it is a curious question. Like, so why we is there space for a new development of a new sport? Space. Or I like where you're going with this. <laughs> is there a third space for that? Space no, I mean sports. I just don't know. I don't know. I like the idea, and so it's a titillating thought. So I will be happy to revisit this with some sports in the future. Good. I've I've thought about this a lot over the years, so I can fix. I can fix just. About I could any, tell you had sport. you had given this some thought. <laughs> it wasn't just completely off the cuff. No, ah, good old sports. No sports. Did you uh, did you ever have to play sports as a kid? I played basketball, um, and it was a big part of who I was. I loved basketball, uh, and now I don't play at all. I don't play for fun. I don't. I, don't, I haven't touched a basketball in five, like ten years, and and I'm sure if I did. It would almost there'd be a sadness there. There could be a foreign object in my hand, something that was previously so familiar to me. Um, that's what I, I mean. I loved it. It was part of who I was. I played in high school. I played, you know, varsity basketball. Uh, but my senior year, I decided not to play because I wasn't going to play college. I wasn't starting, um, and it it brought me some anxiety. Like I cared deeply about it, but I w- wasn't. I didn't know what to do with that energy. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. Once I once I quit, I would always say like, "Hey, I'm Daniel, and I play basketball." Well, that's not how I'd introduce myself, but you know, it was one of my like, it was <laughs> yeah. a core piece of my identity. Like seriously, when you're in high school, like, what do you say? Like, who you hang out with and what sport or activity you play 
is sort of your go-to to connect with people. So when I didn't play basketball, like I no longer, I was kind of in this position for a while of saying, well, I'm Daniel and I, I used to play basketball. And so <laughs> it was a, it was a big gap for me. It was a, it was a, I wrestled existentially through that. So sports offered me that, you know, first of all, the camaraderie. And there's a lot, obviously, about a team working toward a common goal and all of that. And then also, for me, it was an introduction of going, all right, well, I'm no longer going to identify as a basketball player. So what is the healthiest means to sort of search for identity? Because I think when you're in high school and college, that's when you're doing those things. And so... I was relying, I was lazily leaning on, I am a basketball player. And I don't even, I, ne- I didn't stop to think, what does that mean? So, yeah, I did, I played sports. <laughs> yeah, I um, I do agree with you that playing sports is, is good for learning teamwork ability. Um, and I do also think that it's important, especially for kids, to, to really suck at something and have to get better. Um, so... Yeah. For you know, I, I'm not completely cynical about sports, but but when it comes to entertainment as an entertainment industry, like we're paying these guys millions of dollars, like t- they should be they should be working with robots and stuff at least. So it's not the really the athletes. Least. It's not the athletes. It's the collective imagination that you take issue with because like they're just yeah. doing what they're doing. Like <clears throat> people want to see it, and so but you're kind of scratching your head, going, "Why do they? Of yeah, all the things do, we why could do they ask, want to see this." If we want to, because we do, like, think about NFL players are, like, the freaks of the world in terms of, like, they're, they are muscly and fast and they're crazy. They're, they're hu- the finest human specimens physically. Yeah, and you so, can tackle someone in half. <laughs> I saw it on TV one time. <laughs> so they, they really can do these extraordinary feats. And so we just ask them to, the frustration for you is that they're, they're putting all their energy focusing into to, you know this sort of throw or, a ball yeah organize kill the man with the ball or tackle throw the, man the when, ball when hey, could... hey you just pinnacle of human physical excellence throw this ball <laughs> like yeah, run let's, run let's over some, here i'd like to see them fold in some why not fold in some intellectual puzzle solving things that we can as an audience part when you talk about audience have you ever heard of um have you ever heard of what's it, i think what's the name for it it's, it's like uh, chess boxing or something like that. <laughs> no, are you being serious? Or boxing chess. It's just a combination of boxing and chess. And what you have to do is you play like a move or a couple moves of chess, and then you go to a boxing ring and you like fr- you punch each other, and then you have to go play another move. And it's just a combination of boxing and chess. This, you're joking though, right? No, I'm not. I'm not joking. That's a real I've thing. I've never heard of this. That's so like a minute or two, you just waylay on each other, and then you go back. Yeah. So you get an advantage if you're beating them in the head. They're yeah, a little they, out of it. And they, can, they don't make great decisions anymore. Yeah, 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 That's yeah. kind of dark. Like, I have an advantage because yeah. I hit you so many times you can't Your think brain well. Your doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not laughing. This is so funny. It's really strange. Yeah, uh, it's a thing. I don't I, I don't know. Like, I like that they went for something. I like that. Yeah, me but too. actually, the implementation, I think, is a little, a little lacking. I would rather have... I don't know. We can get to boxing. It just sounds like day. boxing is shoehorned into like, all right, we're gonna play chess and just hit each other a little bit in between. So it's the it's a step towards something, but it's not. Yeah. It's pretty <clears throat> not in, intertwined smoothly. It's not. It would be working. better. Well, I won't fix boxing. I won't fix boxing. Yeah, this don't time. do that I'll yet. I'll fix yeah. boxing another time. <laughs> Sorry, it just it jumps into my head. It's like, oh, here's how we do Let it. Let me fix this thing. Yeah. Mmm, water. Did yeah. you uh, open your fridge? 
Uh, I did not. I was just, I was hoping that water would cue you to go, oh, transition time. I'm sure you have something up your sleeve. Nope. No. Oh, well, cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Uh, I would like to do a, um, a another segment since you you had a new segment. Um, we'll just have this be segments, a bunch of segments. Um, new segment. So day. let's let's. It's not new though. It's another mind your oh. morals. Yay! I like that one. I think we've only done one. Yeah, we've only done one. So I think that uh, we we can we can see how this one goes, and this will kind of determine the future of mind your morals. I think. I think I've got a decent list prepared. Okay. So why don't we start off with, you know, kind of the original conceptualization is that we could have a mild, medium, or spicy situations, um, kind of arbitrarily labeled by me, uh, that are moral quandaries or just moral situations or hypotheticals, and you just think about them and reason through them. Really, really no, no pressure to go either way. Um, you know, kind of the classic mind your morals might be the trolley the classic trolley question uh you know if a trolley's yeah a trolley's going towards five people and there's one person on the other track do you pull the lever to swap it to the other track or whatever that's like the classic so it's kind of in those in those veins so i am ready so let's see here um we're gonna we're gonna do a medium one this time to to start off so here it is a special art gallery has come to your town, uh, and it's prominently displaying the world's greatest piece of art, whatever that is. One evening, after the gallery's closed, you're walking your dog. You have a dog. Okay. Uh, when you see a lone man with a gas can kick down the front door of the gallery, he starts spreading gas everywhere, and he lights it on fire. And your dog is like barking and he pulls away from your grip and he goes running into the gallery, which is just starting oh. to catch on fire. Yeah. Starting to burn really brightly. The fire spreading rapidly. The doors start to become enwreathed in flame. <laughs> There's probably enough time for you to run in real quick and save either the dog, your dog, the arsonist, or the world's greatest piece of art. Oh man! So which one? You can't save more than one. There's not enough time. You'll get burned up. Or I guess you could also sacrifice yourself or do nothing. But what 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 do you do? What do you choose? I like this question because we are not. I'm you know not sympathetic toward the arsonist anyway. Um, the dog you have a personal relationship with, and then the art kind of affects the most people. Um, but in terms of how do you how does that translate to value because we're talking about a human life an animal life and then the uh, the best and most cherished piece of art in the world oh, um man okay so my knee jerk is to save the arsonist um because i can i have to treat there's a lot of ambivalence with this question or actually within me. Like I was actually just thinking about the word ambivalence and we need to be okay with sort of internal conflict. And my value system, frankly, I don't, I I get bothered when people say, Oh, I'd save my pet dog over this stranger or something. And and the the position you're presenting is this arsonist is a stranger who has done something kind of crappy and a kind of crappy is not eternal damnation worthy right like they just did this thing i don't like but i don't know maybe they have a political conviction or some sort of sincerely held conviction that i do not have to agree with but like 
it might they might be exercising their morals to destroy this piece. And I'm not saying that's okay, but I'm just saying they're not some epitome of evil that I need to rid the world of. So I'm not wrestling with how good or bad they are. I just do not have enough information in this scenario. Um, so in this, so my value, I'm just going to value human life over art or a dog. And so that's my knee jerk. And I, even as I think it through, I, I, I'm becoming more firm in that position. I think it's a really good question though, because I can see someone saying, dismissing the human life because they have damned themselves they've done something that makes them not worthy of saving in addition to the personal relationship with the dog um and then let's just so let's just say you were to dismiss the human which i think is a stretch because that's who i'm saving but let's just say we were then you're in a position of art or a pet um and uh i i don't even want to get into that decision making because I sound like a terrible person if I say save the art for the entire world. It's the most precious thing that will. Well, you the know. whole premise of the question is that, you know, almost certainly there are people who would choose, you know, any of these yes. three. Yes. So you don't have to be worried about sounding like a terrible person because there are going to be a lot of people who would <laughs> think agree I'm with terrible you. Terrible or, or agree with me. Yeah, in either there are already people who think you're terrible. There, I guarantee you, there are way more people that already now think you're a terrible person for letting your dog be incinerated alive. Yeah, uh, I, st- I stand and by saving it. And saving this evil arsonist. There are people <laughs> now who hate you. Michigan people hate me now. Everyone else hates you now. So we've done wonders for our popularity on this podcast. I've just, I have to have, when I'm composing my moral compass, that like, there, I value humans and I value dogs or animal life. And I really, and I know we're an animal, I get that. But the sophistication and the complexity is incomparable and I'm not going to get into the weeds about that. But I've chosen, I, I, I value human beings above animals. There, it's like a hard line that I will draw and I will adhere to. And so um, some, now if you were to get into some, if this was a, a an evil murderer, mass murderer, I mean, in some ways, you've violated your human, like, you, you've violated humanity to the degree that in, I could get into an argument about, like, well, you've lost your human card. I, that's a whole other discussion, though. Like sure. you, you, you don't lo- know that in this so, Right. In this, in, in this situation, they were lighting something on fire. And actually, I, I tend to think they had some reason or conviction that, you know, although I might not agree with, I, I can... Uh, wrap my head around feeling passionately or or even morally about like someone has done some terrible thing and I can't let that stand. So maybe someone, would, or they were brainwashed or whatever, but that, whatever it is, they're not worthless or or detrimental inherently to society because of that. So they just haven't done enough wrong. And so I'm just, I'm saving the human, man. Um, so can you, yeah. let's um, let's have, so I, uh, I like that you presented your your personal take on um what you think is the the moral option but can you uh kind of try to step outside yourself and morally rationalize all three of you've already done yes saving the arsonist and that's why i adhere to it because i do believe that human life not only is it my uh, opinion it's like i believe it's the morally right thing to do is to put like the human being above an object or an or um, an animal Mm-hmm. I just that there. So if I were to, yeah, you're saying to try and justify the other ones. So yeah, um, I don't think we should underestimate the value of relationships 
with animals. Um, I, I will say that sometimes I think we project those relationships and we inflate them. But that aside, the relationship is still very meaningful and very real uh, between a, like pet and human. And so if the, the person who, the, the, the arsonist, they, they caused this situation. It's their pit. They, they, dug, they dug the bed. They should take a nap, in, a dirt nap in it, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, no, but they, it, they caused this and they were doing something bad. Like, that's the cards they were dealt. So if I were to justify it that way, and then I would say, I'm going, I think we should honor um, life over inanimate objects. Um, and so once you've, you've, so, and, and we should, we should also in our hierarchy, we cannot step beyond ourselves. So we value our intimate and personal relationships over strangers. So you've got the stranger who did something bad and, and then you could argue loosely that they deserve what they, they've caused it. So it is justice, right? Like this, they did this thing and then now this thing is happening because of what they did. It's, it's, balanced in that so you don't have to wrestle that way and art despite its greatness is an object and presumably has pictures and won't be forever forgotten just because it burned in fact it might even get more famous because of this story around it um Mm -hmm. and then you have the animal uh the pet the personal relationship so you could get behind i could get behind making that decision okay um and then the artwork is about, I would still take the relationship angle and say, all right, we can call an object just an object as a means of belittling it, but I think it's not, it's, it's, uh, people have relationships with things, like we do interact with them and we have personal and, int- like the greater the piece of art, the more it evokes something and challenges or confronts or expands people's minds. Like art can be a beautiful and amazing thing. And the thing about art is, uh, we can get in debates about what makes art good, but if it's affecting lots and lots of people, that says. Well, this that it, is the best. This is just the greatest piece of art, right? So and it's, it's like a, it's like a David, a David piece, <laughs> a Davidian piece, a Davidian piece, yeah. And it just blows everyone's mind. So, like, so we're not even debating that. It just is the greatest thing, and so the fact that it's going to make a long-term historical impact on humanity. Um, I mean, really, the human life is just a blip on the radar, and the dog is a blip on the radar, and you are a blip on the radar, but this art is transcendent. And so the, for the greater good, uh, we should make the decision to save the art. Okay. Yeah, I think yeah, you, uh, I think you were able to step outside yourself well enough to rationalize all of those. I appreciate um, that. But, like, I... I <clears throat> when we we take in that's when i start adding in the other factors like we probably have a picture of this piece of art um and i know that that's just a replica and i know seeing the real thing is this can be almost a a spiritual experience for people you hear people talking going to these whether it's these famous chapels or these famous places and seeing these things but but like that's part of what the human is bringing to the piece like the like they are it's tr- it's the travel it's the reading about it when you're a kid it's the getting there it's like it's not that the actual oil or or paintbrush strokes or the canvas or the the stone or whatever or the marble i don't think that that's like some evoking it's not some supernatural thing it's more about the people treating something as holy and then it, it, it they have a they have a 
response that fits with that you know right. so like Be- beauty is the in the da- apples of the <laughs> beholder beauty is in the apple of your eyes something the like app- that beauty doesn't fall far from the beholder beauty tree yeah that's it yeah beautiful so yeah i like but it's challenging because I'm not satisfied saving the the dude because I'm like, come on, my do- my dog died because of <laughs> you, you. You'll save and him, we- but you feel bad about it. Yeah, I would. I will. I would say I would do it, and I'd be pissed. Well, I bet this- my dog died, so I have a personal loss and greater humanity lost, and you're just a jackass. Like, so part of me does yeah. go like, screw you. So can you? Like- so can you? Uh, can you now try to rationalize all? imagine that someone else chooses each of these three things and you now rationalize why they're a terrible person for making uh each of the three choices yeah yeah um all right i will save mine for for the the human for last because that's going to be the most difficult um so choosing the piece of art like the idea of like what does it mean to be a, a person or a living thing is to be connected and to understand and you are choosing an object, a literal object created by someone else. Like, yes, yes, I acknowledge it was a giant, it was a, it's the greatest piece of art, but it is out there now. Like it's, it's represented in dozens or hundreds or thousands or millions of, of videos and pictures and this sort of thing. Like it's out there. Um, it was only ever going to be physically seen in re like by, like by a limited number of people anyway. And so you're valuing an object over two forms of life, a human and a, a, a pet. Like, so so two pretty, on the hierarchy of life, because, you know, there's cockroach or even like a leaf or a, a tree or mm. or a small plant or something or or a single-celled organism, we could, we could say, ah, life is not, not all life is particularly um, meaningful, but... But these are well, two the, higher forms of life, no doubt. But the so, art doesn't even rank. So, so the, yeah, it's not it's not alive. It just doesn't have that inherent value associated with it. So, so to, to you're you're kind of disgusting for choosing uh, an object over two lives. Like we got to keep in mind, it's like no matter where you find find yourself on the animal and human debate. Again, mm-hmm. I want to be clear. I understand we are animals, but but I'm making a distinction for clarity. So. Um, and because I believe there's a giant distinction, um, but you're wherever you fall in that debate. If you don't think that's a giant distinction, you're still choosing two lives uh, to perish in the name of an object, and that's just mm. there's something gross about that. So, what about the person who uh, saves their dog? Why are they a terrible person? I think that they're selfish. I mean, they're choosing. Uh, of course, there's the pain of that dog, that or that animal. So. There's that, but they're choosing it because of their projected relationship onto that pet, and they care more about that than a human life and the greatest creation of all time. I mean, that is, I can't think of a more selfish decision, and like selfishness disgusts me. Uh, it's one of the, like, to me, you, misery and selfishness are close bedmates, you know? Like, you will, ha- you will be, you are a miserable person, you selfish jerk. <laughs> what about what about this um you're giving this person a really hard time so i'm gonna uh speak up in their defense okay just for just for the sake i'm just of trying to be playing. funny to say that yeah, yeah, yeah. everyone's a jerk just for playing a uh, doubles advocate i'll play your double here yeah um, <laughs> <Yep. clears throat> so 
you you call them selfish, but this is just an innocent bystander walking their dog, and you know someone this dude set this place on fire. They're not an art fan, like you know this. It may be the greatest piece of art, but whatever. It's it's just art. They don't care about that. They don't care about the guy. They don't care about the building, but they care about their dog. Yeah, that may be selfish, but they're the one who has been attacked, so to speak, in this situation. Like, they have the duty to right the situation from their own perspective, so they're going to save their dog rather than these other third-party pieces in this story that is their life on the right. third rock from the sun. <laughs> okay, I... You you are right that they have they have I'm not going to argue whether they have a right because in this scenario the right to choose is like what you, the question so yeah they have That's the right, right. Yeah. but even in your framing of the question the most favorable way I think you know how you're saying they they don't care about art they don't care about the stranger they don't care about and so you're you're making my case about selfishness they what you're doing when you say they don't care about art they're not ste- they're not stepping out but what about those who do they don't care about the stranger but what about those who do like so so by narrowing and dismissing is is the selfishness well, so 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 I, I I agree with you I'm trying to uh, so, but I, so what about this? What about the idea that everyone everyone has a responsibility to take care of themselves? Uh, and if if everyone takes care of themselves, everyone is cared for. So the person, you walking your dog, you care for yourself and your yes. dog is your responsibility. The, the arsonist has a responsibility to care for himself. He's not doing it. He's lighting himself on fire. So that's, you know, he's getting his uh, just desserts. The art... <laughs> The artist is probably long dead, but the people that you know cherish the art, whoever owns the art right now, they didn't you know live up to their duty. They don't have it guarded or fireproofed or whatever. You can argue that's silly. It is, but yeah. like it's not your responsibility to safeguard the art. Your responsibility is to yourself and to your dog, and so you're just living up to that responsibility. Okay, I mean it's it's sort of a libertarian argument of like yeah, self. It is the, definitely the person and like and I you know. I can I can sympathize with that. I just find that, um, in some ways, you're just repackaging selfishness because, regardless of how you exist, it, it, it like you are interacting in society in this situation. That you're you're out for a walk with your dog, and like things could happen. Like you could make everything you just said could apply. Like what if there's just some person who's fallen and broken their leg, and be like that kind of sucks for you. Like no, you don't have an obligation to that person uh in terms of you've you've defined your parameters as my obligations to my dog and to myself and my family and my friends like that's it but like i just think that there's a moral obligation that extends beyond that when you're interacting in society so if someone's there like on on the road and you can see a car coming and you could save them if you do not then you are you're failing morally and so i just I find that this situation, though unfair, I'm not saying it's a fair situation, it's been thrust upon you. It's a situation you're dealing with. So you cannot just, what you're trying to do is say, oh, I'm not acknowledging this situation was thrust upon me. I'm only going to, I'm only going to adhere to my, my duties despite circumstances. But unfortunately, this scenario has thrust upon unfair circumstances and that just should be factored into. It's foolish, in fact, not to, to, adapt to the newfound circumstances does that make sense so like yeah no i think that's a strong argument 
So yeah, I just uh, I can't get there. And and in fact, as I talk this through, sorry, dog lovers and pet lovers, because I I love dogs and pets, and oh man, they have my heart. But I just think it's the weakest choice. <laughs> no, I don't know. Maybe the art's the one. I don't know. But definitely choose the human <laughs> to save. So this is where it'll push me, like to make the. Mm-hmm. I want to make so, the person. So you you chose that. You know your your personal choice would be to save the arsonist. But why? What's the the rationale behind someone thinking you're a terrible person? Yes, for doing I want to make I want to make that choice disgusting. So I'm gonna try my best. Um, <clears throat> well, first of all, um, human life is in animal life. I have to kind of go back and say, look, life, plants, like all life exists, and what? So why why do we have this arbitrary hierarchy? Human um, privilege. Yeah, it's just a sack of like chemicals and yeah maybe fairly complex but who's just why are we inherently valuing complexity why is that something we attribute not to mention this this guy like in this circumstance he he created a situation for himself like there is inherent risk in in the things we do and some things are more risky than others and he had he played with fire and he got burnt man and so like (laughs) he and like he really like it there is something just about like an arsonist like getting burnt right like that that phrase exists for that reason like we if you if you do stupid things stupid things will happen to you and so it is not i can't go out there and light stuff on fire and maybe get lit myself and then be mad at some stranger for not i can't expect them to take on my risky behavior like that Mm -hmm. is so so if I apply that to him, like he he does it, it it it, there is balance in the universe. Like some screwball did something screwy, and something screwy happened to him. And like that is like Darwinian. That is it's fine. Like this guy, it played out just the way it should, um, and so he just it's to. In fact, you could say <laughs> this is a stretch. I think, but it is it is immoral to get involved and like if if this screwball needs to go like like there's this cosmic energy saying no man (laughs) it's time for you to go and so for me to interfere with that it's just it's just not in the cards just just let it let it play it out wild argument (laughs) i I like that you went there yeah but like i i think i have to go into some uncomfortable places to justify it so maybe i'm not Maybe I'm not giving it its due diligence, but, but yeah, just to say he deserved it essentially. Like he, that's a that's a roundabout way of saying he deserved it, and there's a fake right. component of like it was supposed to happen, and so, and then that frees me up to make whatever decision I want with the dog or the piece of art, and not feel. So so for me, when it comes to not choosing the human life, you really do have to, I think, jump through some huge. Uh, some hoops or or justify a way that you have to really demean the human to not matter that much before you can address which one to choose Hmm. that that's the challenge that's why like that's why i feel pretty strongly you got to save the human yeah i definitely think yeah i think you're definitely right in your assessment and when you say that it's actually striking to me how how easy it is for us today to dehumanize or to to really jump through hoops and rationalize away someone's humanity to to cast moral judgment even in situations other than this highly contrived and extreme scenario 
Yeah. And and that's it's we dehumanize humans and then we'll humanize like a dog instantly and that that's all like you know this is a pretty common i don't know if the word's trope but it seems like people people say this regularly like oh like if i see a dog die in a movie like you've gone too far like that i have to look away i can't take it and then it's like well what about this horror movie or war movie or whatever when the body count's really high like oh i mean you know it doesn't bother me watching people die but don't kill a dog it's like yeah yeah that that um that actually I, I first of all i get that we're desensitized and and movies do this all the time the violence on humans we've been and and we know it's a movie uh so if you're saying that within the confines of a movie i can be sort of okay but i think it's a dangerous thing to say what about this um idea uh the the people who have that opinion i'm going to go out on a limb and say that they tend to be younger um uh, or you know, when I say younger, I mean you know, thirties or whatever. Like the millennialish, yeah. Yeah, ch- chances are they've seen, they may have seen a pet die and have a personal relationship with seeing a pet die, but they haven't seen much human death. Um, and so, hum- seeing humans die on screen is more abstract to them. They don't have a personal relationship with that. But if they see a dog die on screen, that reminds them of an experience they've actually had. That's a fairly comforting idea because what I was worried about, look, if it's a young people thing and, and we're reasonably young, so we hear young people thoughts more and they just, you know, like, oh, poor dog. dog. There's something so innocent about a dog, you know, and even when dogs do terrible things, it's we just like we just kind of go, well, they're animals, they're they're wild animals. Yeah, we've domesticated them, but there's something primal, and like, so it's not the dog's fault. So, and a, a dog can do no wrong in that capacity, right? That framework where when they do bite the human or do the terrible thing, like yeah, that's the their prime. Tra- human trained them poorly. Yeah, or it's just some primal thing, and we can't really fault the dog. Or yeah, it's yeah. the human error. And if and when they. But when they are good and innocent and cute and all, they they're, oh, they're adorable factors. He loves me. It is they're adorable factors off the charts, and so so there does I I understand why ju- the just factor. It just seems so unjust for uh, to to kill a dog or something. Whereas humans, we can kind of go rationalize and say, well, they deserved it or they were evil because no one talks about the evil dog, but they will say the evil human, and so mm. so that sort of make and so combined with what your your theory about like exposure and life experience that makes me feel more comfortable what i'm more concerned with is if it's a true uh value deep, shift yeah, like an, an, a cultural value shift in which we might start you know devaluing humans and valuing animals i don't think i think we're so far from that i think i'm way more comfortable saying i think this is just sort of a young person phenomenon and some speaking from naivety and like it's just almost a talking point and it's almost like they know they're playing with fire when they say it like oh don't kill a dog in a movie but kill plenty of humans that's fine they know they're being a little funny it's a little funny and cutesy to say it's a little edgy so yeah i don't believe they feel that way for real so yeah yeah i guess i i guess i buy that I just yeah I kind of have the same uh, the same discomfort with the thought that you do, um, and in my more cynical moments I think you know I, I have that same worry. But 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 really, are there really that many people out there who uh, you know who value the dog life so much more than the human life? 
Yeah, I think it's a talking point more than the yeah. real thing. I, it's I just, just a chance to be a hipster. Yeah. <laughs> that's. I, I truly think that a lot, so many social developments are due to pure and simple hipsterdom. It's just, oh, this is popular? Well, I'm going to do the different thing. Yeah. Like, I think so much of it is that spitefulness. It's, it's, it, and it might not even be spite. It can be an intellectual exercise. Oh, everyone's going on this train of thought. I'll take another route. And like that's a curiosity. Like, oh, you've caused me to pause. I've heard you say something that's counter to what I'm hearing frequently. That makes me, first of all, I'm going to listen to you more because it's different and it surprises me. And so I have to reconfigure and stop and think about it. So Hmm. you all of a sudden gain gain traction in the marketplace of ideas because your idea is standing out. So that's attractive to hold a position that's not popular. And yeah, then all the edgy stuff too. And then, Hmm. and then, I mean, maybe it was just a thought experiment. Like, oh, well, you know, consider someone who says this is a lot different than holding that with true conviction. So, hmm. All right. Uh, do you want to do one more? I do. I do. All right. Uh, this one's a little detailed, so listen up. All right. There is a complex but common and necessary engine part. It's used in virtually every car. Its complexity means that only specialized factories can manufacture it, and it turns out that basically every car company purchased this specialized part from a single company in China, uh, and they've done so for the last 30 years. One day, it's discovered that this part is fundamentally flawed in such a way that if it fails, the engine will experience problems that vary from a mild shudder to a gigantic fatal explosion Hmm. that will just blow everything up within like five meters. Um, newer engines uh, seem to experience this failure more often. Mm. So the newer your car is, the more likely it is to fail more severely. Uh, about 10% of cars made after 2010 will explode. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Uh, of cars made before 2010, only cars that have been in previous accidents seem to have elevated failure rates, and even, even that's about 1%. So it's relatively low. For for reference, the average age of cars in the United States is about 11 years. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, but then one other key f- key fact is once the part fails, the failure method won't change. So if it fails and you get the mild shutter, you never have to worry about it blowing up. Uh, if it fails and it blows up, then, well, it blows up. Um, and you said this piece is in- reasonably inexpensive, or does that not matter? Um, it's, uh, I don't know if you said that earlier. It it doesn't matter. It's complex, so it's not cheap. Um, but it's in just about every car. Only specialized factories can make it. And everyone has bought it from China for the last 30 years. Gotcha. So we, we don't have the capacity to manufacture this part, um, immediately. So that's, that's the situation. Do you, there's a lot of details in there. I know. So do you Uh, have a grasp of that situation? Yeah. If you have a car 2010 or older, there's a 10% chance of it. it 2010 or newer. Uh, I mean, yeah, I meant that. 2010 or newer. So basically, the car I drive now, the vehicle I drive now, and it has a 10% chance of either no of, of exploding or was it? Yeah, either? 10%, a 10% chance of of exploding. If it's newer than 2010, then uh, if this part fails, 10% chance it blows up really right. big. And how often are they failing? Um. The um, so it's just a part, so 10% of cars newer than 2010 fail, and cars older than 2010, about 1% gotcha. f- fail blowing up. Um, 
but they can if they fail and have the shutter, then maybe you might not even notice. So okay, gotcha. it's unclear right. how many cars right, are I'm failing. Following. Yeah. Um, so the so the the question is what what should be done about this situation? Oh man. Uh, what? Hmm. And are you asking from a position of like if I'm the president? So uh, let's let's examine both on the yeah societal level, like you know what should the government do, what should society do, and let's also take a peek into you know what should you do personally, right? Because that's it's that's where I would go well. because if there's a ten percent chance my car explodes, I'm not going to do anything that's a ten percent chance of death over a period of time. Um, so I'm, so I'm not driving all of a sudden. I'm I'm probably ele- or if it's one percent for older cars, it's a little more tempting to get an older car. But it's pretty dang old because it's right at eleven. You said eleven years was the so my temptation though. I'm just gonna say is to my knee jerks to like well get off the road first of all until this this is because you said how the explosion is severe enough that it destroys things yeah, within it destroys a, stuff within five meters. So right, so it's happening. There could the be car. collateral damage. Yes. Um, so I'm personally making the decision that that is a very high risk factor, and I'm getting off the road. Um, and I'm I currently exist in a, I'm close enough to my work, you know. If we were at work to to travel to work and, and that that work for me, <laughs> I said work a lot to get there <laughs> though. I, I can make it sustainable. Uh, lucky me, kind of thing. Um, right. What about um? So you presumably would walk to work. Is what you're saying? Yeah, but that's so not like like there's there's a whole network of like all right, do we rethink as a as a nation? I mean, you know, New York's one of the few that that travel actually works uh, on in the what, what's the what's the word I'm looking for? Just pedestrian. Yeah, I mean, you know, without or a car, not having transit. a car, public transit. That's what I was looking for. So public transit is. I mean, when we traveled to Japan, I became aware, and even in Europe, the public transit systems are just people rely on it a lot more so therefore it's uh it's used a lot more and it works a lot better and it and new york has something resembling that but you know like tampa florida doesn't have anything uh sustainable to offer if you you, it would take me probably two hours to get to work if i wanted to take a bus if i wanted to wait for some route and like just not sustainable so it causes Mm -hmm. questions about that but that's a little less interesting and in the weeds than like all right do we go after china and say what is going on like is this war worthy is this to what degree do you put political pressure and say this is unacceptable um you need to and then the question becomes like what you need to (laughs) like make them better you need to share your secrets you you must (laughs) share your like insist on like we need to be able to make this peace too or allow us to work together or what what sort of treaty or what contractual agreement can we come to to say that this has to be safe Um, so so in this situation uh there's all of these parts came from just one factory in china it's not exactly a realistic situation mm -hmm. um so even if they fix their you know whatever this flaw is they're they're just not going to be able to produce enough of this part to repair the millions of cars that um that are affected uh now, if, if if we know what the flaw is, then we might be able to spin up our own factories and stuff, but that would take a year, a year and a half or something to get all that stuff going. 
Well, yeah. I mean, like in a perfect scenario, it's like you say, everyone get off the roads. We're going to, our public transit system is going to really step it into high gear as we negotiate with China. Well, to what, make, when you say public transit system, what are you talking about? <clears throat> uh, just buses and subways. Buses and, have engines. Yeah, I guess I wasn't thinking about that because I was just thinking that was dumb of me, but I was thinking in a personal way. And so do yeah. can't use presume, buses. Even even subways and stuff are going to say have that. If they're electric, then they'll probably work. Okay, electric engines and they'll probably and work. some oh, some yeah. of these buses are trying electric stuff. Um, but the, again, in an ideal situation, these we it, it very low resolution terms, hot big picture would just to say. Yeah, we're stepping up our public transit game while we negotiate with China and try and try to get off the road. So those are the three components: personally get off the road, try to uh, locally have a better public transit, and as we globally negotiate this issue. But like, I don't so, know what any of the details mean. Like, yeah, it's so, just way too big and difficult. Ugh. So let's zoom question. back into let's zoom back into your personal level. So your car is out there sitting in the parking lot right now, and you you learn of this issue and so your decision is just no i'm not touching that thing right that's kind of what you're deciding is i'm not taking any chance with that um yes i think so like that's my knee jerk anyway obviously i would give this some thought but i definitely wouldn't run out and go to the grocery store without thinking again like i would stop and like not crank it until i'd made a decision uh, but, yeah. so what if you had what if you had a, an older car like what if you had a car made in 2006 and so uh and it's never been in a wreck so um, yeah. the it's odds of 1%. your car exploding are just a fraction of 1%. I would actually do some investigation on like, well, what, are, what, if it's a fraction of a percent to even get it in a fatal car wreck anyway on any given time. So, because I don't really have a firm grasp on that. Um, and so if it's about the same, then I would probably just take that risk. Do you know what I mean? Like we, yeah, we sit yeah. here and we don't. I don't think about every time in the car. Like the the reality is, I'm risking my life some small degree higher than I would have had stayed home. But right. I can't live my life that way and and calculate, you know, what I view as just inherent risk to life. Now I'm being so. So what I would do is I would, I would want to know what are my normal risks and how risky is this really? Um, and so I would. Yeah, be number crunching as much as I could to understand. Wait, this isn't that much riskier than you know normally getting in the car, um, and because people die all the time and on the road. So, so let's um, let's try to examine the morality of a situation. Let's say your neighbor um, has a, a new car. Is it is it morally justifiable for them to just ignore, ignore the problem and? You know, just throw the dice and assume that they're in the ninety percent of cars that aren't going to explode, and they continue to drive it around. That's a good question. <laughs> I think, I think we okay. Uh, this is ambivalence within me again. I think that no, they cannot ignore the moral imperative. Like they really should make a thoughtful decision and just to dis. They're putting me at risk and others at risk. So that is, but I'm not going to judge them that much if they're going out because I guess I'm the odds of their collateral damage. If they want to take that risk, I'm fine with people taking their calculated risks. And it seems to me that yes, it might explode and have collateral damage. But if a car were to explode next to me and I was in a car, presumably too, uh, the idea of it killing me seems, I don't know. 
Um, I don't know. I just don't know. But, but <laughs> I don't know. But this is a tough one. But, but so all right. I would so, want. Um, I would want my all. I would want everyone to be considering the moral implications of this. And so, so let's go with the easier case. Then let's say they have an old older car. Is it is it morally justifiable for them to? Ignore the problem and drive the car around. I just think it's never okay to completely ignore. Um, but well, do you mean so to make a conscious decision? Is there yeah, a from your perspective, you can't tell. Forward. You can't tell whether they crunch the numbers already, like you said you would, or whether they're ignoring the problem. You can't tell. You're you are walking to school and you see people driving on the road. Can you make? Can you cast a moral judgment on those people? Um. Yes, I think I can, and I think I won't. Um, because I, the degree of which I just don't know, and like I could see myself arriving at the same conclusion possibly in driving. So, um, and I think there's so many va- factors about like there's all complications like whether they have to get this paycheck and they'll lose their job and they have to drive and they'll they have mouths to feed and so um, I just although I think that they should be considering the moral. Maybe, like maybe they have, maybe they haven't, um, and I'm I'm not going to exhaust myself uh, considering. Look at all these drivers as they pass me, and I'm flipping <laughs> them the bird angrily, and like because I'm not. What what will I accomplish? Like this is a this because this problem is global and huge that you propose. Like I my tendency as a just local like as a just me Daniel is like all right. Well, what what control do I have in this situation? And how do I exercise it as responsibly as I know how to? And so my anger just, I'm just not going to start getting mad at my fellow citizenry. (laughs) Like, I'm just not going to get mad at everyone around me. I'm just not going to. I'm just, that's, nope. I'm only going to see what, what, what do I, what can I do? And how can I execute it the wisest way possible? So in this situation, uh, is it, is it moral for businesses to stay open? Jeez. Um, so these cars only upon being cranked, you, they're not. They can fail. They can fail at any moment that they're cranked. Okay. Or or when they're not cranked, and then when you crank it up, you know it'll it'll blow that up. Moment. It's just be. whenever the part fails, you can't yeah. tell. When but they're the part not fails or in, not. in sitting still, uncranked, no key in the ignition, and blowing up. That's not happening. No. Um, no. But businesses being open obviously attracts people, invites you to come to them, right? Like, mm-hmm. Right. But that's assuming that by way of vehicle, you know, motorized vehicle is the only way. Like, obvi- so no, I don't. I do not think moral. I do not think businesses staying open is saying I am. You are encouraging patronage, and that means people getting in cars and driving to you in a realistic world. Um, I mean, think about our current, you know, U.S. society. Yeah, we just drive to where we and just the, drive places. The, yeah. I mean, you you are lucky because you can walk to work, uh, you know, if if it comes to that, yeah. and you could pr- probably walk to a grocery store. I mean, yeah, but yeah, I would say that you're in a very small minority. Uh, agreed, in all of America. Um, most yeah. most people, you know, if we find out this happens, most people are, you know, if they want to make the same calculations that you did, they're going to be stuck. You know, they're not going to be able to go to the grocery store. They're not going to be able to go to work. So things are going I to... Just, I just think when you just say like, all right, well, no, that's a moral imperative for businesses to shut down. Like you're just saying what, what we close the economy, like collapses. Like we, I just don't, 
like that would cause more deaths so i'm i businesses have to stay open no like they can't just close it'd be more it'd be actually morally uh it would be immoral to close your business Hmm. or a mistake like a a misapplied search for morality right so all right okay so i just realized what i think you're doing but keep going (laughs) i can't um, believe it took me this long by the way me either i can't believe it took me this long so is it moral for the government to mandate that people not use their cars um, given given the chance of explosion, is it okay for the government to say, "All right, everyone, you're not allowed to use your cars"? I just, I'm still blown. My mind is blown that, that I did that. It took me that I wasn't getting it at all. <laughs> well, let's not spill the beans. Let's uh, let's Sorry, continue my, examining the situation. Br- so, will you say that again? Is it moral for the government to to mandate that people not not use their cars, given the the chance for explosion and collateral damage, the government says, for everyone's safety, no one uses your cars. Uh, this one's tricky too. So no, I think maybe it's their job. To, it's their job to tell us the information and to say, like maybe even it's their job to possibly even provide like a hey, go to this website, say how long your commute is, what your car is, how you know, fill out this questionnaire, and and then we will try to help you, equip you with information for the best decision but like um again there's no to just sort of offer a blanket statement people stop you cannot drive or you'll be fined or arrested or whatever the consequences are like i, I the police the police jogger will pull you yeah. over yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, on horseback oh on horseback yeah. yeah no horses have horses will explode oh well <laughs> no they won't no it's it, it there's no freaking way. It's the same reasoning I had as for not getting mad at other people. Like, look, they're having to make their intensely personal calculations based on a number of things. And the idea of the more people. So if I can't judge my neighbor who literally lives next to me and I probably have a some of the same you know, social, socioeconomic, if we're located next to each other, you know, there's a lot of similarities that you can presume about people right next to you. Now you're making a, however many Americans are, what is it? 320? I don't know. 320 million. Um, like who have individualized lives and, and struggles and decisions to make and to, to make any sort of like, nope, you can't drive, which is a kind of a fundamental way of life for so many people. No, I do not think, uh, a government could responsibly say that i do think they could responsibly say limit your driving please don't drive for these reasons if you must drive here's the safest way to do so or whatever like you know mm-hmm. and again more information is better like go fill out this i have an 18 mile commute and it takes me this long and this is how old my car is and this is my financial situation and like if you're comfortable revealing those and then an expert sort of whatever that means I, I mean, I don't even see this being feasible on this sort of 320 million person scale either. So I don't know. Uh, but no, I can firmly say that just saying, no, you can't drive would be um, full, a, a misapplied morality again, like a foolish attempt at morality, a very nearsighted attempt. Yeah. Hmm. So, uh, so what? So you came to some sort of uh, eureka moment? What? <laughs> It just is oh, what it, was that? the the link to the coronavirus and COVID nineteen and like and like saying this is what you can do and this is what you can't do and to what degree and like your 
car crashing, your your car exploding, being, you know, like virus. I don't know. It's all there. All all of it's yeah, there. Yeah, I, I tried. I tried. You hit it well. Unless, I like, don't know why I didn't pick up on it. I'm still hung up on myself, which is silly. But like, <laughs> I didn't. I tried the best I could to come up with. It was an the business situation. Question. It was the business question that got me. Uh, that was that when I discovered it. Like keeping yeah, yeah, businesses yeah. open. Yeah. Um, I mean. But but the fact that we're living in it right now and the fact that I didn't just immediately go there, I was just whatever. Right. Um, well, the the reason I think it's an interesting an interesting question is because I imagine that if people didn't catch on quicker than you did, then they're trying to morally rationalize the situation. And I wonder if the conclusions they reached in this situation are the same as the conclusions that either they reached in our current virus situation or the conclusions that have been societally accepted as the right decisions, broadly speaking. And I will say I that... Want, I wonder if those things are the same. I know. It's a really good exercise. And I'm very pleased to say that my feelings were pretty damn consistent um, in terms of how I would behave in your scenario and how I am behaving now. Like, oh, uh, I generally will try to seek the advice of experts i will generally just try to look at my own sphere of influence i'm trying not to judge others and i also think that there are limitations to what is moral that the government can say like if they were just like close down your all businesses like you know you, um mm. that's that's i mean the the car crash like we're, like every analogy falls apart at some point and you know there's some differences between sure, cars right, exploding and virus transmission so the, the transmission part is hard to um, hard to work into the analogy. Uh, well, and the but, older car, older purse. Wait. Well, I, I made it. Uh, I, I did it based on proportion. So there are roughly as many newer cars as there are old and vulnerable people f- to the virus. So okay. And you know about like if you're if you're older than sixty five, then it's rough. You have roughly a ten percent, probably a little lower. Um, chant if you catch the virus. Very um, clever, Bennett. I think that's fun for other people. Like if you listen to this podcast, just memorize mm-hmm. the scenario and then take it to people, other people, and maybe they won't catch on either. If you don't have context of we're having yeah. another coronavirus discussion, because even saying that, like you and I agree, let's I, I'm not, so tired. Yeah, let's it, not have honestly. a podcast about it because everyone, it's it, we're exhausted collectively. Um, but. This, but this was a still a neat way to talk philosophically about what do you where and morally I guess about where where this is, um, because when now when you say, because we live in a polarized society and all of this we all have a preconceived idea or developed ideas now about how we should feel yes. about this and so the second you say but the car thing not necessarily exactly you, you, you didn't yeah. say let's have a coronavirus discussion because if I if you say that now I'm gonna go to my bank of ideas that I already possess right. ready and like have cut you off and what you're trying to ask me to examine but if you say let's talk about some exploding cars. Like okay, this is completely in theoretical land, and uh, that's a kind of a cool way to think about it. Let let me ask you a, a, a another moral question that just occurred to me. So, what if uh, all the people with new cars, um, they're they're making car payments, and they say uh, we we don't want to make these car payments anymore. We're just all gonna band together and stop making our car payments. Uh, is that is that justifiable? In all things can. Cons- so we've just newly discovered this exploding cars thing, 
and some people are saying, well, now the terms of my owning a car have changed because I'm maybe not going to drive it anymore, and I can't really sell it the way I... I don't even see it as moral to sell it necessarily. Um, uh, I mean, I think I get what you're reaching for. I just think that there might be more room to say... Well, you can't just say I'm not paying for it. You can't. <laughs> you've you've entered into like you bought the car, and now you can't say I like. It just sucks that we learned some new information, and like you're in a yeah. position where like so maybe the car seller should be like, okay, you're right. This sucks for you. So we're gonna because I'd like to sell cars in the future, and because I have some conscience i'm going to work with you to help you through this time but i don't think that the car buyer can say well the terms changed so it's not like the car seller changed the terms in a nefarious context it's like oh this thing came to be that didn't previously exist that puts a lot of people in a difficult position that doesn't mean we can just absolve ourselves of of commitments and duties so it's freaking complicated it's like it's that's what i mean it's like well I mean, yeah, yeah you yeah. can't morally i mean i think you're you're the analogy is people are like going on rent strike like i, I don't think i uh and i'll get i'll talk to you more off air i say about this but like i've been getting a lot of emails my 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 place of where I, my apartment complex has said if you pay your rent on time, we're going to give you $50 off. And they just keep saying, please pay your rent. Remember by this date, pay your rent. Remember. They must we're be getting a lot of, a lot of people threatening. Not they did. They, a, lot, a lot of people not. I'm guessing anyway. And they said just over, they, they were sending reminders. Like we, we will try and it essentially the email said, you know, better worded than this, but we'll play nice. And if you have real issues and they've been sending out emails to help financial relief or anything, the government sent them, they've sent out and like, they, mm-hmm. but they said, but like you, you need to pay rent. Like don't put us in the position of just not paying rent and having not talked like, don't like, like, and, and offering this $50 incentive to pay rent on time is weird. Well, it's not weird because I understand like, I just, you can't just say I'm not paying rent, rent strike. It's more like why, why create a villain immediately? Like you can go to the complex and say, is, can we work together that I can get you your money in a delayed way? Or can this, this, like, they're just, the, the car buyer and the analogy can't just say, nope, I'm, I'm not doing it. (laughs) Like you, this is my excuse to, to get rid of my responsibility. Right. There was a card seller who, who, and they were a manufacturer. There were all sorts of things like, like, so yeah, uh, uh, some circumstances arose that were unpredictable and crappy and that, but that just like, so now we, I think it's the moral thing for everyone to get together and say, what's the best way to, um, play out with this unfair, crappy situation. Like, how can we do this together and, like, in a fair way? Like, yeah, so easy for me to I've say, a, like, everyone play nice, but, you know. I have a proposed solution to the problem. Give it to me. So um, what what we could do is everyone could take their cars to an isolated location and from a distance, remotely, however you want to rig it up with a long stick or with a remote or something, just crank your car and leave it on until you can detect that the part has failed, you know, if because if you if the if it, your engine starts to shudder and you know that the part has failed, and it didn't blow up, then your car is, you know, in the analogy sense immune. Your car's not going to blow up anymore. Okay. If your car does blow up, well, you know, you 
this is where it's different from the virus is now like you can escape without any personal damage to your life. Obviously your car blew yeah, up just and that's financial, not good. Yeah. Still a financial burden. But like even even if you, you personally with your newer car, if your car blows up, you survive, you haven't hurt anyone else, and now your car is no longer a danger to everyone else on the road um, or bystanders or collateral damage or anything. So if everyone is able to essentially trigger this mechanism, then everyone can get get on with their lives uh, and continue to drive cars, continue to go to grocery stores, continue to go to work. Everyone can do these things without endangering everyone around them. I like, I won't, I don't think it's necessary to get in the minutia of like, wait, would it have to be cranked for possibly years? Because that's an issue, right? And like refilling the vehicle with gas and stupid stuff like that but sure. but yes to go ahead and find out how how bad it is uh in terms of when it does fail what happens okay so so will you will you go ahead and uh, explicitly connect that that analogy yeah so you know in the coronavirus situation rather than everyone leaving their cars uncranked I said I'm going to the coronavirus situation that I immediately analogize. <laughs> Rather than everyone just social distancing and quarantining up in their apartments and not going out, the people who can tolerate the virus, the people who can safely blow up their car without getting damaged or damaging anyone else, can go out into the world. Maybe they get sick, but they recover, and then they're immune, and they're no further danger. And once you have a large number of people who are immune – then the people who are vulnerable, who are holed up inside their homes and their apartments, um, they now don't have as much to worry about when they go out in public getting the virus transmitted to them because there are fewer carriers. Herd immunity is the term for that. Um, like and so I, I had an idea, a radical idea, um, er, early on. It was mostly a joke, but kind of not a joke. Like, you know how the, the cruise industry has been pretty much just shutdowns they're right. just dead no, no cruises anywhere um and st what we should have done is we should have used some of that gigantic uh stimulus bailout money and we should have poured it into the cruise industry and we should have turned all <laughs> cruises into what i like to term flu's cruise uh <laughs> and and we should have made it so that you can get a free two-week cruise if you're young and healthy you can go on a free two-week cruise and you're guaranteed to get coronavirus on the cruise you we actually intentionally spread it to people on the ship and you're just there you're stuck there quarantined out in the ocean for two weeks in luxury you know you're sick and you feel terrible but you're in luxury <laughs> and then you know it pulls back into port and now you have like three thousand people yeah. three thousand recovered now immune people back into society and then if we if we Obviously, we don't have enough cruise ships to do this for ev for everyone. But imagine that we did, or we use similar situations with hotels or stadiums or whatever. Then we have a two-week period. Reasonably, we could probably extend that to one month. Just a one-month period where these people are out of commission, econ economy-wise. And then after that, we have a huge section of immune people in the population, and 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 the situation almost resolves itself. That is Flu's Cruise. <laughs> Flu's Cruise. Write it down. Flu's Cruise twenty twenty. Next the next pandemic, we've got this. I I love the thought experiment. <laughs> <laughs>
like that though. I like well, I like the way you're thinking. Anyway, it's out there. I, I yeah. I mean, it, it, I mean, look. If imagine imagine that that situation was real, and uh, and they did start this thing, and you know there are a lot of cruise ships in Florida, and you heard about this deal, you could get a free two-week cruise. They're gonna have medical professionals on board just in case something crazy happens. Right, extra you know, stuff, like yeah. Because there may be some tiny percentage of people who have an undiscovered secondary condition and they have an adverse reaction. They've got it. This is a professional outfit. And, w- I mean, would you go on a cruise like this? If you knew, you don't have to quarantine yourself and go through all of this hassle and rigmarole that we've all gone through. If you c- could have found this out back in February and said, you know what, I think I might uh, I might go on a flu's cruise, and then you came back after 14 days and didn't have to worry about it anymore. Is that something that you would consider? I mean... Especially if you could go with friends? Maybe. It just doesn't sound that appealing to go get the flu or or corona, but... Of course not, but but you're probably going to get it anyway. Under controlled circumstances, and if if they were... If it was a little more clear on, like, actually the chance you might just have a sniffle or be asymptomatic, and there's... Let's say they find out there's a 40% chance of asymptomatic. Now, all of a sudden, it sounded a whole lot more appealing. If you're like, eh, that's a coin toss. I might feel nothing and get it. Because, I mean, I just recently had the flu uh, in December, and which, by the way, I've thought about. Like, what is that? Like, anyway... um, that that really kicked my butt and was terrible. So like it's fresh in my mind how painful that was, and I do not want to feel that. But if <laughs> if we're going, if there is a if if you can make a convincing argument that look I'm gonna experience this, but I could experience it on a cruise with some friends, or I could ex- that's essentially know, the argument. If, if, because right, that's what I you're mean, saying. And so if if you're gonna under some controlled circumstances and even you know a little more just quick medical attention and they they have tamiflu or teraflu or yeah. not whatever not just that but like you know whatever like whatever form of medication is available that might help and relieve then then you know oh okay like if there's a 30 40 percent chance i don't i'm asymptomatic and if i do get something i'm under careful watch and i and like and like i have friends around and entertainment oh, okay well now we're on to something so yeah, it's not as ludicrous as it initially sounds. So That's right. Fluce Cruise. <laughs> Heard it here first. Oh man. <laughs> On that note, I'm uh I'm gonna go I'm gonna go make some dinner. Yep, I think that's a good place to to wrap it up. Um yeah, kind of my I the my my reason for doing this analogy is cause you know, I, I kind of, I'm ready for everyone to get out of this whole thing. I'm ready for this coronavirus thing to be over. I find it very tiresome. I'm ready for everyone to get back out there. And the phrase that applies is one of my, it's a quote from a movie that I really like, The Dark Knight. Have you heard of it? I've heard of it. Some men just want to watch the world turn. <laughs> and that's me. I just want the world to start turning again. But up, but up, but up. Bye. <laughs>